Viewpoint on Mormonism, the program that examines the teachings of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints from a biblical perspective. Viewpoint on Mormonism is sponsored by Mormonism Research Ministry. Since 1979, Mormonism Research Ministry has been dedicated to equipping the body of Christ with answers regarding the Christian faith in a manner that expresses gentleness and respect. And now, your host for today's Viewpoint on Mormonism. Thank you, Brian Maine, for that introduction, and welcome to this edition of Viewpoint on Mormonism. I'm your host, Bill McKeever, founder and director of Mormonism Research Ministry, and with me today is Eric Johnson, my colleague at MRM. Yesterday, we were talking about the frustration many Christians have when they are trying to talk to their Mormon acquaintances about religious issues, and whenever the subject of godhood comes up, it's not uncommon for many Latter-day Saints to actually be kind of shy about that topic and act almost as if that is not a teaching in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Again, we want to emphasize that sometimes what Mormon leaders have taught on subjects and what they want members to believe is not always the same as what the member may believe. And that's important when you're talking to your LDS friends. They might not know about a particular teaching, or they may even disagree with a certain teaching. Now, they don't have the authority, really, to disagree with it. But the point is, Mormonism has taught and does teach that men, if they are faithful, can become gods. So we thought we'd have a little fun with this and... What we've said is we're going to audit a class at Brigham Young University, Idaho. We're going to sit in, if you will, on a class being taught by Bruce Satterfield, a class titled Building an Eternal Marriage, Religion 235. His syllabus and his reading assignments are actually on the web. And if you go to mrm.org, we will have links for you that will take you to those assignments. And you can read for yourself what students at Brigham Young University, Idaho, are supposed to be reading and, we would assume, supposed to be believing. Now, it ought to be mentioned that everything that we're quoting in this series of shows does not come from In Their Own Words, the, the book that you wrote that compiles all the different quotes of Mormon leaders. For this series of shows, we're just going to go ahead and use the quotes that he supplied us. So if you were to take this class at Brigham Young University, Idaho, what would you be hearing? So imagine, if you will, we are auditing the class. There's no credit for this. But we're going to audit the class and we're going to imagine that we are listening to Bruce Satterfield, the professor of Building an Eternal Marriage, Religion 235. What would he be telling the students? And as we saw yesterday, he quoted President Gordon B. Hinckley right off the bat where he said, The whole design of the gospel is to lead us onward and upward to greater achievement, even eventually to godhood. Then he quotes the King Follett sermon, Joseph Smith's King Follett discourse. And then he actually cited the latter half of Lorenzo Snow's couplet, as God now is, man may become. And of course, that is a statement that we often hear Mormon leaders citing to support the notion that not only was God once a man, but that as God has become a god, we can also become gods. He then quoted Brigham Young, who said, The Lord created you and me for the purpose of becoming gods like himself. 
but now he's going to go on in his lesson plan, in this reading assignment, and what's the next citation that he is going to give? Well, he's going to use D and C-132. This is what he writes. Essential to our progress to becoming gods is marriage. The Lord has declared, and then he quotes D&C 132, 19 and 20. And again, verily I say unto you, if a man marry a wife by my word, which is my law, and by the new and everlasting covenant, end quote, and endure valiantly in that marriage, he adds, then they shall be gods. Sounds like he's being pretty sure about that. Yeah. What's the context of D&C 132? The context is basically talking about celestial marriage, which was understood, at least in the 19th century, to be plural marriage. Now, of course, the Mormons do not practice plural marriage quite the same way they did in the 19th century. So what they did was they redefined the term celestial marriage. And now it's understood in a Mormon context as having more to do with a marriage that is in a temple that is for time and eternity. It's not equated with polygamy any longer. So that's really the gist of section 132. But then he goes on. He says, The church has declared that the purpose of mortality is to help us become like God. Now let me ask you, Christian, have you ever heard anything like that? from the pulpit at your church? Is that really what our purpose of mortality is, to help us become like God? In the Westminster Catechism, it says very clearly, what's the chief aim of man? And that's to know God and enjoy him forever. And all emphasis is aimed at God, not to become God and enjoy Godhood forever. It's a much different idea in Christianity. I think that's an Excellent point, because I have found that when Mormons usually talk about their eternity, rarely, if ever, do I hear about any type of worship or homage unto God the Creator or God their Savior. It's all about what they are going to be doing and what they are going to achieve what they hope to become, which is actually the the title of this reading assignment. Always remember what you are trying to become in the end. In other words, the emphasis is on the member of the LDS Church. Their eternity is all about them. It's not really anything having to do with God. In fact, what role does Jesus play in a Mormon's eternity? Really, virtually nothing. Once he gets their feet off the ground through resurrection, after the judgment, Jesus kind of fades off into the sunset like Signe Rigdon after the death of Joseph Smith. That's not the way it is with us. With us, it's all about Jesus. It's all about being in the presence of God. And you have to understand a little bit about the Mormonism plan of salvation to appreciate what is being said here. He quotes from Handbook 2, Administering the Church from 2010, and it says, because of God's love for us, he prepared a plan that included our coming to earth. And in Mormonism, they have what's called pre-existence. You had to have been valiant in the pre-existence and have chosen Jesus to be able to make it to this earth. And it says where we would receive bodies and be tested, and then he puts this in italics, so that we could progress and become more like him. So that's the point. And in doing so, they hope to actually become a god in the next life. He goes on in his notes. Yeah, and he says, indeed, the final judgment will be based upon what we have become in the end. And so he's giving a quote now from Handbook 2, Administering the Church. 
in the same area where, where I just read, and it says this, each of us is accountable before God to learn and keep his commandments and to live the gospel. Now it's really sounding Mormon, isn't it? Oh, yeah. We will be judged according to our actions, the desires of our hearts, and the kind of people we have become, and he underlines that in italics. As we become true followers of Jesus Christ, we experience a mighty change of heart and, quote, have no more disposition to do evil, end quote. And he lists some Book of Mormon verses. Then he says, as we live the gospel of Jesus Christ, we grow line upon line, becoming more like the Savior in loving and serving others. Now, we're not going to downplay the part where it talks about wanting to become more like the Savior in loving and serving others. Certainly, we would emphasize that too, that as Christians, we certainly should have that goal to be more like our Savior and emulating him. However, we would not say that we are justified by our success at emulating Jesus. That's not what justifies us. He quotes Mosiah 5, Alma 5, and Moroni 10, 32 and 33. And the quote that he gave is, have no more disposition to do evil. I'm wondering if you're a Latter-day Saint listening to us right now, have you attained what these verses apparently are saying? Because I'm going to say, Bill, that I haven't done it. I don't think Paul did either when he talks in Romans about how he struggled with sin. I think that's something we all have as humans, regardless of whether or not you're a Christian, except when you're a Christian, now you know you have the responsibility. But to have no more disposition to do evil, the only place I know that's going to take place is in glorification when we're we're seeing him face to face. Well, he quotes Moroni 10:32 and 33. Of course, that's the one that talks about deny yourselves all ungodliness. And then when you deny yourself all ungodliness, then his grace is sufficient for you. We've talked to hundreds of Latter-day Saints and asked them, have you denied yourself of all ungodliness? We've never met a Mormon who has accomplished that. In Mormonism, it's keeping the commandments, living the gospel, becoming successful. And in Christianity, it's receiving forgiveness of sins and recognizing that you are fallen and you can't get up on your own. You need a Savior, and that Savior's name is Jesus Christ. Elder Dallin Oaks is cited. He's of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles. Mr. Satterfield says that he explained that family relationships are the best way that we can learn to become like God. Oaks wrote, From such teachings we conclude that the final judgment is not just an evaluation of a sum total of good and evil acts. What we have done italics. It is an acknowledgement of the final effect of our acts and thoughts, what we have in italics become. It is not enough for anyone to just go through the motions. The commandments, ordinances, and covenants of the gospel are not a list of deposits required to be made to some in some heavenly account. The gospel of Jesus Christ is a plan that shows us how to become what our heavenly Father desires us to become. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the plan by which we can become what children of God are supposed to become. This spotless and perfected state will result from a steady succession of covenants, ordinances, and actions, and accumulation of right choices, and from continuing repentance. Quote, this life is the time for men to prepare to meet God, end quote. And that's from Alma 3432. Now, when you were reading that, I'm looking at it going, now, when is that supposed to happen? And I'm thinking Alma 34 in the back of my head, and there it is, cited. This life is the time for men to prepare to meet God. So, based on what Mr. Satterfield is wanting his class to understand, it sounds to me like he's talking about this spotless and perfected state will result from a steady succession of covenants, ordinances, and actions, and an accumulation of right choices, continuing repentance. Now, in this yep. life, 
because and, and, Alma 34 is basically talking about not procrastinating your repentance even until death. You have to do it now. And Oaks brings that out in the next sentence. He says, now is the time for each of us to work toward our personal conversion, toward becoming what our Heavenly Father desires us to become. And he goes on to say, as we do so, we should remember that our family relationships, even more than our church callings, are the setting in which the most important part of that development can occur. The conversion we must achieve requires us to be a good husband and father and a good wife and mother. Being a successful church leader is not enough. Exaltation is an eternal family experience. See, that's the that's the dread of it, though, when you have a child that just doesn't seem to get it, and they're not living up to the covenants that they are supposed to be living up to. You wonder why so many Mormon parents almost dread the hereafter because they know they won't be with their family, because that is their ultimate goal, to be with their family. He says it is our mortal family experiences that are best suited to prepare us for it. Tomorrow, we're going to continue auditing Mr. Satterfield's class at Brigham Young University, Idaho, a class that is titled Building an Eternal Marriage Religion 235. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information regarding Mormonism Research Ministry, we encourage you to visit our website at www.mrm.org, where you can request our free newsletter, Mormonism Researched. We hope you will join us again as we look at another viewpoint on Mormonism. How would you like to have Mormonism Research Ministry address your church on the subject of Mormonism? MRM's Bill McKeever and Derek Johnson have spoken at many Christian churches all over the country. You see, they can tailor their presentation to meet your church's needs. Anything from a one-day basic introduction to a weekend symposium. You'll find these PowerPoint presentations clear, articulate, and presented in a Christ-honoring fashion. So let your pastor know today that you'd like to have MRM speak at your church. Write us at contact at mrm.org.